Howdy folks, and welcome to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and what we are is a campus ministry for the convinced and unconvinced believers and non-believers. We put a lot of emphasis on being community and people-oriented and promoting a welcoming atmosphere of inclusivity and comfort. What this podcast is, is a collection of our large group sermons given by our campus minister, Austin McCann. Now, without further ado, we really hope that you enjoy this talk. Howdy. 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 My name is Cole If I haven't met you, I'd love to. This is Hampton. He's pretty cool. <laughs> okay. Tonight's passage is from Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ, uh, Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ, Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first hope, uh, to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your graciousness and loving kindness. We thank you that you provide for all of our needs, Father. We pray that now you would provide our needs this night by blessing the teaching and preaching of your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts made willing to respond to the truth of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's so great to be with you. Happy New Year. Uh, it's so good to see your faces as well. Uh, gosh, I've been waiting for this moment for a long time. It's been awesome. Uh, since our last large group in 2022, uh, we've, yeah, I've just missed you all a lot, so it's good to see y'all's faces. Um, look, if, you, if you're a newcomer here and like this is your first time to walk through the doors of Allface, we want to say, well, uh, we're really glad you're here. Uh, whether this is your first time or your 50th time, we, we always say at RUF that you're never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace, while at the same time you're never so bad that you stand outside the reach of God's grace. We believe that, and we hope we embody that. Uh, so when you come 
really, we want you to come with your questions. This is a place for the convinced, whether you've been a Christian your entire life, or whether you are unconvinced of Christianity, and you are skeptical of the truth claims of the gospel. We're glad you're here. Bring your questions. We want you to be here. Um, okay, before we kick off, I just want to point out our RUF interns. Okay, so George and Emma, could you all stand up, stand up for me? Uh, this is George Devaney. Uh, Devaney uh, and then, George, it's literally their job to get to know you and to care for you. And uh, if you have questions about the Bible, if you want to meet one-on-one, please reach out to them. They want to get to know you. So if you don't know anyone here, George and Emma are, are a safe place. They want to get you connected. That's also my job, too. I want to get to know you. So please come introduce yourself to them and to me after RUF. I want to get to know you. I want to get you connected. And, uh, yeah, I want to go get coffee or get lunch or something. So. Um, Really, before I begin tonight, I just wanted to say a big thanks to Brian Sorgan Fry, Ray Cortez, Les Newsome, Ricky Jones, Sinclair Ferguson, John Stott, a bunch of men who have plowed through this passage before me, giants in the face. So big thanks to them tonight for all everything we're going to be going through. Um, and so really, what I want to say is, like, really, we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, because what we do in RUF is each semester, we, we believe the Bible is the very word of God. And that it's actually his revealing of himself to us. And so what we do every semester is that we normally just take a book of the Bible and we march through it throughout the semester. Um, and so this semester, is cold red, we are walking through the book of Ephesians, so Paul's letter to the uh, Ephesians. And I want to give us a quick context of, of the structure and the setting of Ephesians so that we can just kind of understand, okay, what's going on here, okay? So the Apostle Paul, who's our author, wrote this letter to the Christian Ephesians in Ephesus while he was actually imprisoned in Rome waiting to die. And the significance of that, of, of, of Paul writing this from prison, is actually going to come up a lot throughout our series. But I want to also draw, draw our attention to the structure and the outline of Ephesians, okay? Because this is important for us to understand the book as a whole and our series uh, throughout, throughout the semester. All right, so you could take a literary knife and actually split uh, this letter into two proportioned halves. Okay, so chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4 through 6. Because the first half of Ephesians in chapters 1 through 3 have been described as Paul's gospel instruction or his rehearsing of gospel indicatives. In other words, chapters 1 through 3, what Paul is doing is he is spending time teaching us and rehearsing to us about who God is, about what salvation is, and that salvation comes from God and God alone. Uh, and he talks to us about it comes through his only through his only son Jesus Christ, and so Paul spends all that time rehearsing gospel indicatives. And what we see is actually in the second half of the book of Ephesians, in chapters four through six, that in light of chapters one through three, Paul says, "Okay, this is now now that you know all of these realities, these gospel truths in chapters one through three, this is how you live." So chapters four through six have been, been described as as. Paul's gospel application, okay? So how we should actually walk in the light of the truths of these gospel realities. All right, this is how we learn. We all intuitively just know this. Uh, much of the same way that your teachers these first weeks are te hopefully teaching you content in your class and then later on actually demonstrating it and applying it in different examples. And so that's just an intuitive way that we learn. And Paul's letter is outlined much of the same way. In chapters 1 through 3, is gospel instruction, who God is, who we are, that salvation is from him and him alone. And in chapters 4 through 6, 
gospel application, actually how then we live in the realities of that truth. Okay, so I'm just giving you that overall structure and outline to help us see, okay, this is where we're headed this semester. And so the overall message of this letter that Paul is writing to these Christians in Ephesus is that the God of the universe, amidst all of this chaos, amidst all of our sadness, all of our loneliness and our sin, is that he is actually up to something. That the heart of this letter is about God's reconciliation. Is that how he reconciles sinners to himself through his son Jesus. How his gospel reconciles us, his church, to one another. And how he is one day going to reconcile all things, this world, and unite all things to himself. And so, really, as we begin tonight, I, I hope that catches your ear. Because I think a lot of times, it really is in the season of college that you begin to come to face-to-face with just how fractured and broken this world really is. Like, these four to five years, they're awesome, and they're great, and you're going to have some of the best times of your life in college. But at the same time, and many times it starts your first week when you're here at college, is that things just begin to feel really unstable. Like, what I used to know about myself, my sense of security, like my family and and high school and my identity and the town I grew up in and my personality, like, people know me. And it's all removed when you come to college. And you lay in your bed and there's a sense of anxiety of being like, hey, everything just feels kind of fractured and unstable. John Mulaney, if you've ever watched this on uh, Comedians in, in Cars Getting Coffee, says that freshman year of college a lot of people are auditioning their personality. And like it feels that way, doesn't it? <laughs> like we're all honest. And like some of you tonight are saying like, hey look, like I'm a sophomore in an upper class. I'm a senior in my last semester and I still feel that way. Like combine all of those realities with the fact that usually at some point in college you face the brokenness and darkness of this world and yourself because of a death in the family or because of something you did you never thought you would do. And it just feels overwhelming and out of control and chaotic. And Ephesians says there's hope. That because the God of this universe, he's actually up to something. At the heart of this letter is that the God of the Bible is a God of reconciliation, which literally means restoration to the divine favor, to his divine favor. And so tonight, this is what I want to do. We're going to look at the foundation of reconciliation under three main headings, okay? And then ask how. So first, we're going to look at how we are loved and adopted by God the Father. Then we're going to look at how we are loved and redeemed by God the Son. And then lastly, we're going to look at how we're loved and sealed by God the Spirit. Okay, so adopted, redeemed, and sealed. So first, starting out in verses 3 through 6, loved and adopted by the Father. Right, every commentator points out that verses 3 through 14, it's actually kind of funny, because in the original Greek, is just one giant run-on sentence. That if you've written papers and you are a run-on sentence writer, then you're in a safe place. Because Paul does this all the time. He just writes in run-on sentences. And we see this in the beginning of Ephesians, uh, verses 3 through 14. The Apostle Paul, he's so excited, remember, while he is still in prison, okay, that he has such good news that it just comes spilling out of him as he reminds these Ephesian Christians that they're actually defined by God's blessing, by what God has done and what he is doing for them. And so 
Like, what is Paul getting so excited about in this long run-on sentence? Well, first, look at verse 4. Paul rejoices over the fact that God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. And then again in verse 5, that in love, God the Father predestined us for adoption as sons. And look, I don't know how the word predestined lands with you tonight. Okay, but what I want you to consider is that the Apostle Paul just has found something incredibly fascinating about the notion of tracing back in time just when this love of God for him actually began. That when he looks back and says that God chose him and loved him before the foundations of the world, and that God's love is not based off of anything that he has done or could do, it brings so much joy that it just spills out into this really long run-on sentence. <laughs> Why? Why is it a blessing to know God's love was set on you before the world existed? Think about that. Like, that the source of your salvation rests in God and God alone. Um, there, there are three days I will never forget. Um, I'm going to pick one of them. Uh, November 21st, 2022, not too long ago, uh, I was standing in hospital delivery room when I could have been at uh, the Friends Friends Giving, uh, but thankfully I wasn't because I was with my wife. Right, I was, I was holding Alex's wife, uh, hand, or my wife's hand, Alex, and I was feeling completely helpless and trying to like not get in the way. She was delivering our second child and trying to be her cheerleader and encourage her. And uh, yeah, and I was like, honey, this must be really hard. Uh, and <laughs> it was like, guys, you're going to be helpless. Uh, just get ready for it. There's literally nothing I can do uh, to coach you. Uh, just drink a lot of water. Uh, but um, right, I'll never forget that moment. Like when, when the doctor holds up this crying, really mad, slimy baby girl <laughs> and like puts her in Alex's arms and then puts her in my arms and it's our Betsy. And like at that moment I knew it was like nothing. Like nothing would ever make me quit loving my daughter Betsy. And your parents would say the same thing to me. And you're going to say the same thing as well. That no matter the cost, no matter the, the pain, nothing would keep me from loving Betsy. Okay, so here's the question. Like, did Betsy love me in that moment? Uh, no. <laughs> like, she didn't. She didn't even know who I was. Like, she was actually really mad because she was really nice and warm and cozy in the wood. And, like, actually, she didn't know who I was. A baby, a newborn, she still doesn't really know who I am. I mean, she smiles at me now, which is sweet. Um, <laughs> but... Like, newborns are so nearsighted that beyond anything, uh, beyond 12 inches, it's just a blur. Which means Betsy looked at me the same way that she looked at a chair or a light bulb. Like, she didn't love me one bit, but my love was fixed on her. Now, what maybe seems like a sappy, sweet story really has some profound effects. And I'll use my other child, Henry, as an example. Because Henry, who's almost two years old, as he gets older, and he has gotten older, it's weird, um, like, he's going to have some really good days, and he's going to have some really bad days. And he already has had some really bad days. Sin is seen very quickly. And, and so there's, there's nothing, though, that Henry can say or do, even on his worst days, or even on his best days, there's nothing that's going to stop my love for him. Because my love for Henry 
is not dependent on any achievement or talent or any mistake that he makes. Now, I'm going to discipline him, yes, and I've done it a lot. But the fact that I discipline him is actually evidence of my unwavering love for him. And I get to tell Henry this all the time. I get to say, Henry, I, I love you even before you ever loved me. And he doesn't really understand that yet. And so I, I get to tell him, so guess what? I get to say when I, get, when I quit loving you, and it never, ever will stop. I will always love you. And that is hopefully a foundation for security for Henry, or at least one day it will be. And some of you have tasted that tonight with, with parents who have loved you that way. You see, Paul understands that God is both just and loving. And it's important not to minimize this point, okay? See, Paul knows that as a sinner, what he deserves is condemnation, and that God is completely just in that. That because God is perfectly holy, and the Bible teaches us that he is just in giving Paul what he deserves as a sinner, which is eternal judgment. But the reason Paul is bursting with unshackled excitement is that God has not been fair to Paul because he has given Paul something that Paul does not deserve, and that is grace. Uh, Bill Watterson, uh, who was a popular cartoonist in 1985 to 1995, uh, he created a comic strip called Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, you probably have heard of it from your parents. It's about a boy and his tiger. Um, and in one of the comic strips, Calvin, who's a little boy, wants to stay up late to watch TV with his dad. And his dad says, no, Calvin, go to bed. And at the top of the stairs, Calvin screams, Dad, that's not fair. And his dad replies, well, Calvin, the world isn't fair. And Calvin replies, I know, Dad, but why isn't the world ever unfair in my favor? You see, Paul's unrestrained excitement is that he understands that instead of God giving him what he truly deserved, which is judgment, God has been unfair in Paul's favor by giving Paul grace in his son Jesus before the foundation of the world began. And Paul did nothing, absolutely nothing, to earn that love and grace. So how does Paul, and this is a follow-up question that we've all asked, how does Paul truly know and experience the assurance and the security that God loves him? Well, a question that each of us would probably ask ourselves, and a point that I want to make is let's not confuse the assurance of salvation with salvation itself. Okay, this is important. Right? It's very possible for someone to be saved in Christ without having assurance of salvation. And the opposite is also true. One can have assurance of salvation without being saved. Proverbs 14, 12. You see, the Bible gives us evidence and categories to help answer this question. Okay? That those categories, okay, so we're getting deep here, right? Those categories are the primary and second, secondary grounds for our assurance of salvation. The primary grounds are the assurance that, that comes from trusting in God's promises alone. And the secondary grounds of our assurance of salvation comes from the testimony of the Holy Spirit and a life transformed by the fruit of the Spirit. Let me explain that. You see, Paul's assurance, and here Paul's a great case study for this, Paul's assurance and security in Ephesians 1 is a perfect case study for the primary grounds of trusting in God's objective promises rather than in himself. You see, the reason for Paul's subjective excitement, okay, 
and the security that he feels in writing this really long run-on sentence to the, uh, Christian, the Ephesian Christians is that it is anchored in the primary ground of his salvation, salvation, which is what? Which is an ever-growing understanding of what is already objectively true of him, which is what he is writing about in verses 3 through 6, that it is God who has loved him first before the foundation of the world, that in love, he is the one that, that God is the one who predestined him to be adopted as a child. That Paul's assurance of God's love for him is rooted in the promises of God himself. That is very important. So were there seasons of doubt in Paul's life of, of, of his assurance of God's love for him? Absolutely. Why? Because he's a sinner. And we're going to experience that in this life. But does Paul's subjective feelings change the objective reality that he is secured in God's love from all of eternity? No. Why? Because Paul's feelings can't change that. The source of Paul's salvation is not dependent upon his achievements or his mistakes or even his feelings, but solely upon the eternal love of God in Christ. You see, we're going to see this all throughout Ephesians. That Ephesians is pulling back the curtain of time. And it's asking you to consider the foundational and objective security comes from the fact that before the foundations of the world, God chose us. That he set his love on us. That before you existed, before you did anything right or wrong, or whatever you would do right or wrong in the future, God the Father said, you belong to me. I'm adopting you as my very own. And that objective eternal truth in God and his love is what frees Paul to have security and to rest in. And I would argue tonight that deep down, like I think all of you really know that. That deep down inside, you know that it is this kind of free, objective, unearned love and acceptance that is the only place of utter security. And you, you want to know the signal in your life that shows it for many of you here tonight? It's like the flurry of panic and that gnawing anxiety that is following you everywhere you go in, in these first few weeks as you begin back classes here at Texas a and Because at some level you feel that you're being evaluated. Whether it's that new roommate you're meeting for the first time or you're trying to enter back into friendships and it's awkward getting back into this new place that for, for you freshmen especially. Or whether it's that inst, whether it is institutionalized in this thing called freshman leadership organizations or, or rush. Because at times that insecurity wells up. Because when the grounds of acceptance, the grounds of being chosen is based on your resume, on your merit, on your doing, on your being funny enough, on your being social enough or connected enough, there's no security. But see, Ephesians 1 is saying that that's not how God works. This is not how the God of the Bible works. His acceptance, His love for you, it chose you that before the foundation of the world to make you His adopted child, it's unmerited. It's before you ever did anything for Him. And the reason for his love to you, for his love, is not based on anything you did or didn't do. 
It's bound up in Him. Because He loved you first. But you see, like maybe for some of you tonight, like this explains your profound sense of insecurity. That your relationship with God kind of mimics flow. Or your success in your major. More than it does actually God's adoption for you. Because you think the reason God loves you is because you prayed a prayer. Or that you walked an aisle. Or because you love Jesus. Or because you come to RUF. But if those are the foundation of God's love and adoption of you, then what if your, what if your prayer wasn't so sincere enough? Like, what about when you discovered that pot actually feels way more satisfying than Jesus? Like, what about when you realize that you don't love Jesus, or when, when you realize that you don't love Jesus all that much and you just rather watch Netflix? Like, what about when you really actually blow it? See, God's electing love means that his love for you is not dependent upon your sincerity, your goodness, your achievements, even your feelings, but it's dependent upon him. He started it, and he gets to say when it, when it ends, and he never will. And that is stable ground. That is real security. And I think deep down inside you know that, that a love that is freely given is the best kind of love, that it's actually the only truly stabilizing so that was a really long point. <laughs> My next two points will not be as long as that. Okay? So first, Ephesians says that this, this secure blessing is bound up in, the, in God the Father's adopting love before the foundations of the world. And what we see secondly is that we are loved and redeemed by the Son in verses 7 through 10. Because look, in verses 7 through 10, Paul goes on to praise Jesus, God the Son, the Christ, for the blessing that is actually secured for us. He does the securing through his redemption. And the word used to describe the next blessing is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So redemption is the language of being actually set free from bondage or from slavery. And notice what Ephesians is assuming about humanity. Ephesians, like the rest of the Bible, assumes that no one is naturally a child of God. You have to be adopted. In other words, humanity is actually in bondage to something. Right? Now, I don't know how that lands with you, but I don't know, because most Americans, even Texans, if we could say that, like, we kind of say, well, like, how dare you say that? Because, like, I naturally do whatever I want to do. I, I get to say what I want to do. Right? That actually shows your actual bondage. <laughs> the Bible there suggests that naturally doing what you want actually shows, shows bondage to your master. And that master is sin and our trespasses. Um, do I have any marketing majors out here? I don't know. No. Uh, wow. No. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, well, for any marketing majors uh, who are out there, um, right, good marketers have figured this out. Um, they figured something out about anthropology, about us. They know that we're actually in bondage to something. It's really interesting. Because when a company is doing like a, a survey to get truth, what you'll notice, and next time you take a survey, you'll, you'll, you'll read this, what you'll notice is that they're skilled in the way that they ask questions. Because if they're trying to get a handle on just how much, let's say, I don't know, binge drinking happens at Texas A&M, they never ask, how much do you binge drink? That's never going to be the question. Instead, they flip it to the third person. And they ask, what is your observation of the drinking culture at Texas A&M? 
how many people do you observe on a typical Friday night that are binge drinking? The marketer knows that we are way more honest about other people than we are ourselves. That's way easier to do. Now, why is that the case? Because there is actually a bondage of shame and guilt, whether the marketer understands that or not. That I don't even have to try. Like, it just is second nature to me to hide the truth to make myself look better, right? And, like, whether, whether you've been at Texas A&M for one semester or this is your fifth year victory lap, like, you, you felt it. Like, how much of your life is just one big PR campaign trying to manage people's perception of you? Right? It's bondage. And the root is sin and shame and guilt. And see, verse 7 says something, something redeems you, forgives that debt, sets you free. And it's the blood of Christ. That the reason you can be freely loved, the reason the Father's love can come to you without being earned is because of Jesus. Jesus is bound to a cross. He's hung as a slave. And by his blood has made the full payment of our sins. That's the gospel. And listen, this is what Paul is so, so excited about. That this, this primary ground of redemption, freedom from sin and slavery, is not something that you accomplish or that you do. It's something Jesus has accomplished and done for you on your behalf. So it's freeing you. Because it costs God everything, and it sets you free because Jesus was bound in your place. So Jesus accomplishes it. The Father adopts you. Jesus accomplishes it. And lastly, what we'll see is love and sealed by the Spirit. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Verses 11 through 14. Look at verse 13 very briefly here, okay? Paul says that those who have believed were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What, what is Paul so excited about here? Well, as if it couldn't get any better, it, it does. Follow Ephesians here, okay? A seal was a marking symbol. Okay, think about it. A king, when he would send a letter, the way he marked his letters, that he would pour wax in the letter, and he'd put his signet ring into the wax, saying, this is mine. This is from me. I'm authenticating it. I'm ratifying it. I'm confirming it. This is my letter. It belongs to me. You see, the father's adopting love, the son's redeeming love, it actually sticks to you. Because God the Holy Spirit dwells in and with you, and He marks you as His. His signet ring upon you. He says, this one belongs to me. And that marking actually guarantees an inheritance. And what is an inheritance? Well, by definition, an inheritance is something promised to you. Promised to you. It's actually given to you, but it's not yet fully yours. So, do you have... Do you know what the inheritance is that God actually promises to his children? It's actually verses 9 and 10. It's everything in this universe that all things united and will be united to him and be made right again. It's a new heavens and a new earth. Everything broken fixed. Everything dirty made clean. All things reconciled. Every tear wiped away. Every bit of loneliness gone. Everything made right. Eternal, eternal joy with God. That's his promise. That's our inheritance. And here's the encouragement. What is the guarantee that you, will, that you will make it to the end? What is that guarantee? Well, verse 14 tells us. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the marking. Here Paul gives us more evidence and more assurance as we ask, well, how do I know I'm going to make it to the end? 
And Paul says that if you've been adopted by the Father and redeemed by the Son, that you are marked, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. So it's not simply up to you. It's up to Him. You didn't earn that seal. Therefore, you can never lose it. That's good news. So, like, you ask yourself, okay, but like, what if I don't become the success like I imagine myself to be in the future after I graduate from AL? What if I don't belong? God looks at you and says, I marked you with my spirit and says, You belong to me. I never quit on you. You say, okay, well, what if no one ever really gets to know me here in this place? God looks at you and says, You're marked with the spirit and says, I know you. You belong to me. God always, always finishes what he started. We may not, but he does. So this is what Ephesians is holding out for you. Adoption by the Father, redemption by the Son, and sealed by the Spirit into the end. And so to wrap up here, how, how do we get this blessing of reconciliation? Okay? This is setting us up for, this, for the next coming weeks. The rest of Ephesians will unpack this. But this is where we'll end tonight. Did you notice how many times these phrases, in Him, appears? That phrase, in Christ, predestined in Him, blessed in Christ, redemption in Him, in Him, peppered all throughout this passage. That all the blessings come because, because of and in union with Jesus Christ. What He earns, He shares freely with us. Um, right, you, you've all seen this. Um, oh, hopefully you have. Uh, anyone who has seen Cinderella knows this, okay? Uh, and actually, the live Disney version is the best. Um, but you know the story, right? Ella is, is actually an orphan. Uh, she's living under the bondage of her evil stepmother. She's poor, she's used and abused, and she's mocking, mockingly called Cinderella, right, instead of Ella. Because she actually slept alone in a tower under a cold, uh, or in the cold, under a next to a fireplace, which actually had cinders or ash on her. Right, so she was mockingly called Cinderella or Girl of Ash. It's literally what that means. Well, her her, her big night comes. Right, she the bippity boppity boo magic transforms her from a poor abused orphan girl to this look of royalty, and she comes to the royal ball and she meets the prince and. Prince falls for her, and all that royalty and wealth and beauty, and beauty ends up falling away from her at midnight. And she runs away, and she leaves her slipper behind. The prince finds it, and he says, I've got to find her somehow. Right, so he goes on this mission to find this girl and to set his love on her. And he goes house to house, all throughout the kingdom, trying to find this glass slipper on every maiden. And he doesn't even know her name. And in the climactic scene of the movie, He's come to Ella's house. She escapes to the tower because she knows that he's there. And the tearjerker scene, she, she prepares herself because she's about to walk in and see him. And so she walks in and he offers his hand and he asks her her name. He says, who are you? And she has a choice in that moment. She can hide or she can actually own who she is and receive his offer. And he says, who are you? And she says, I'm Cinderella. I'm the girl of ash. I'm the poor, abused orphan who has no merit. And in that moment, the prince actually pours out his love on her. And she receives all the royal love in that moment. All the wealth, 
all the status, all the inheritance of Prince Charming actually becomes hers. See, the blessing of God's adopting love, the redeeming love of Jesus, and the sealing of His Spirit comes to people only and through Christ. Because it's all His. But the good news of the Gospel, of which Ephesians will see again and again, the hope of the blessing is that it's not wrapped up in your worthiness to receive it. It's wrapped up in God's willingness to give it. The blessing is not wrapped up in your doing. It's wrapped up in Jesus and His willingness to lavish His grace grace upon you. And therefore, the way to the blessing is shocking. It's actually the way of of Cinderella, the girl of ash. The way we receive it is that you simply admit that you're dirty. You simply admit that you're helpless. You simply admit that you're unworthy. And you receive the love of Jesus, His royal love. And all that Jesus has, it's yours. And He he delights in lavishing it upon you. Because you're united to Him forever. See, you are defined by the triune God who has loved you for a very, very, very long time. And it will never stop. No matter how you feel, no matter your mistakes, no matter your achievements. And that love will heal, he promises, will heal every broken part of your life in this world. And will make everything clean. And will one day reconcile all things to himself. And in this life, we get the taste of that. Of those benefits and those blessings. So, tonight really, this is what I hope about. We hope that we hope that makes RUF a safe place for sinners, a safe place for struggling and broken people. That you'd receive that good news. So would you join us this semester? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the letter to the Ephesians. Lord, we thank you for the promises that you give us through your eternal adopting love for the foundations of the world, through the redemption that has been accomplished by your Son, and through the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the assurance and the evidence and the hope we have in your promises, in your love, what you've done for us, would that bring us unwavering security, joy, excitement, hope, even when we fail, even when we blow it again tomorrow, knowing that you love us, and that that would actually begin to transform and change our hearts as we walk through the book of Ephesians and see this redemptive love again and again and again, that you are reconciling all things to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.